Welcome to the Busy Leaders Podcast, a catalyst for inspired action, a high-energy, high-fun podcast hosted by Quint Studer. In each high-impact segment, Quint chats with the individuals on how they're navigating today's environment. Quint and his guests showcase best practices and how they work in different contexts. You'll often walk away with tactical tools and tips that you can apply to your own role, business, community, and life. I'm Nicole Webb Bodie, the Chief Impact Officer at Studer Family of Companies. Quint is a well-known healthcare operator, author, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated the last three decades to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. He has written numerous books, articles, and his work is always based on evidence, research, and tools and techniques. For more information and to listen to previous podcasts, visit thebusyleadershandbook.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning about our upcoming events, both virtual and in person, visit healthcareplussg.com. Joining today's podcast is John Halleck, founder and president of Met Crusaders and co-president of Biomarker Collaborative. He joins the podcast to share the story of his journey into patient advocacy. In February 2018, John was diagnosed with stage four non-small cell lung cancer. Several weeks later, the genetic testing came back and the cancer was determined to be driven by the MET-14 skipping alterations. After learning from the doctors that while there were many support groups for genetic alterations, there was none for his, so John took action. He drew from his background as a serial entrepreneur to set up a patient-centric advocacy group for people with his particular genetic alterations. During this podcast, you'll learn about advocacy groups, the Biomarker Collaborative, and how best to find support and resources. Now, here's your host, Quint Studer, and our guest, John Halleck. Nicole, thank you very much. Um, John, you and I met maybe six, seven months ago through a mutual friend named Marsha Horn. Marsha Horn um, is with a not-for-profit um, called ICANN, capital I-C, capital, then all capitals, I-C-A-N, and she was... Her name was given to me by Juan Lopez, recently retired head of modern healthcare, um, for a health issue I had. And she's a navigator. She helps people with cancer navigate and get help and so on. And she's been so helpful to me and many, many others. And she loves you. And she said, you've got to meet this guy, John, because he helps a lot of people, too. And like a lot of times, we end up helping people because of our own experiences. So I know, um, John, you've been really now a long-term cancer patient since 2017, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yes. Um, Well, I was coughing, and um, it was a time there was a high incidence of flu. So I went to the local, I would just call them clinic, um, and the they said, well, you don't have flu, so it must be something else. And they gave me some pills, I think z and they sent me home and said, if you don't get better, come back and uh, we'll, we'll take another look. Well, it never got better. Um, and then I went back to them, and I was then diagnosed with bronchitis, and they gave me prednisone. And I was taking uh, prednisone for a couple weeks um, and it really didn't get much better. I flew a helicopter down to 
um, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, um, that was mine. I had it annual done in um, in Louisville. And on the way back, I was just sicker than you can believe, coughing, coughing. <clears throat> I, went, I went ahead and rented a car, drove back about an eight-hour drive. Um, next day, went back to the doctor, and they said, they finally did an x-ray. They said, there's a mass in your right lung. You need to go to the hospital right away and get uh, uh, CTs with the contrast. Um, I uh, lived at Black Earth at the time, and most of my medical was actually done at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. So I called my doctors up there, and they said, be up here tomorrow. So I went up there, and they went through a couple, three days of CTs and PET scans and bone scans and you name it. And uh, the diagnosis was stage four metastatic cancer of the lung and bronchus, which which is a stunning, a stunning something for somebody to tell another person. I can't think of what would be worse other than a spouse or a child would be in an accident, but it was it stunned me. Um, they did genetic testing, and three or four weeks later, um, they just they found out that I had a met altered cancer, and met is a protein. And um, once the protein gets incorrectly formed, then what happens is that it can no longer control the uh, growth of cancer. So the doctors told me, um, we don't know much about your cancer. If you had one of these, two or three, um, we'd have a targeted therapy, but we don't. Um, so we're going to put you on um, a chemotherapy. So they put me on a chemotherapy. <clears throat> this is kind of a formative part of my my stepping into advocacy. One was being told that I have cancer, a conversation you're never ready for. My wife was crying and I was in shock and trying to think about what I needed to do to take care of my family and all the things that associated with me. And no information. Um, you know, I just felt like I just didn't have a grasp on anything. And, you know, the doctors have such small amounts of time. And then to be told you have this and we're going to go on this drug and whatever. And, you know, you're kind of, you're going along with pretty much anything the doctor says because at that time the doctor is your, 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 your only life lifeline to, to staying alive. And anybody that knows cancer can tell you, can verify all this fact. So I went on chemotherapy. I lost half my hair, 65 pounds, half my hearing, um, problems with the bottom of my feet. After five months, um, it actually started to work. Up until that time, it had what's known as a mixed result. 
some shrunk and a few grew. And you want them to all shrink. Well, at the around five-month mark, um, a doctor came in and says, we have a clinical trial for a therapy for Matt, and um, we'd like to put you on it. Well, since I had had good results with the last scan, it was a difficult decision, but I figured, well, I could always go backwards. So I went on the clinical trial, and, it, and frankly, it was amazing. Um, not all clinical trials are amazing. My life has been one strung together lineage of clinical trials. But that one was amazing. The progression-free um, uh, survival for that drug, which means that's how long you go before the cancer progresses, was uh, estimated at nine to 10 months. The cancer I had was a cancer that um, can easily kill you in a couple of months. I went three and a half years on that drug. And then I went to another clinical trial, not so successful. Uh, then to a, another uh, chemo cocktail. Successful, but not so successful. To another chemo cocktail. So I've kind of been through progression a number of times. You're almost afraid to get into the, the CT scanner um, as you go along. But, I mean, that's kind of the where I'm at today. Um, today I'm on uh, the third of the chemos, which is actually the first cocktail they gave me almost five years ago. So there hasn't been a lot of progress. John, you know, you and I talked um, with my own, <laughs> you know, not relating, not comparing, but I thought a couple of things you said really resonated. When you get the first diagnosis, where do I go? How do I go? Who do I talk to? Um, and then finding out, particularly with difficult cancers, and all cancers are difficult, but some are more difficult at more the different stages. And finding that trial, one of my good friends, uh, Pat Doman, who, who's passed away, um, when he got diagnosed with cancer, they gave him a short time to live, and he actually lived much longer. And he wanted to live long enough to see his boy become a Cub Scout because his boy was about two years old when he got diagnosed. And again, he, he had a journey of clinical trials, but for him, he was grateful to find a clinical trial because the other option was was not anything. So you went on, and because of you and people that don't know this, you, you've done well in life career-wise, and you could have not done, you could have done what you've done, do everything you can to stay alive for yourself and your family, but you, you founded the Met Crusaders, and that's where I got to know you because I'm always looking for um, people that can help people. And so why don't you talk a little bit about how you've got into taking your own journey and, and helping others. Yeah, as as I as, as you said, I'm a serial entrepreneur of a number of companies. And some of the top doctors say, you know, there are these support groups to help patients with specific genetic alterations. Um, and there's none for yours. And not only are you have business skills, you have science skills. So you have the capability of having a conversation. Um, and so they suggested to me that I form a, uh, a, a patient-centric advocacy group around my alteration, which is MET. 
And so uh, I did that. I, I, I interviewed other organizations and other doctors to see how I could help. And um, after doing this now, probably about four years, I could say the most important thing in patient advocacy is actually taking care of patients. It's newly diagnosed patients who are in shock, who don't know if they can believe their, they don't want to believe anything, frankly, or they want to believe everything. And they're very much in the middle. Um, they need affirmation and they need comfort. Like I, I get them every day. It's like, I'm doing well, but I just don't feel good today. What do you think? And it's like, well, you just don't feel good today. <laughs> Everybody just doesn't feel good today. So don't automatically think the worst, live your life. So we expanded Met Crusaders. Um, this year, we gave away um, almost $500,000 in partnership with Lung Cancer Research Foundation um, in Met-related um, research. In addition, I gave away some other money. And uh, over the last few years, I've given well over a million dollars away um, to help specific research that I believe may lead to the to uh, a way of creating drugs that will manage or convert cancer into possibly something like diabetes, which is just a a disease that can be managed. And so that's, um, and that was kind of the goal. And we also make people aware of the clinical trials. We coach them on that. We have the list of the doc doctors uh, for secondary uh, opinions. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of tentacles of what needs to be done. And so I built that and uh, I guess uh, received the kind of the acceptance and approval of all my peers. We're doing a pretty good job. Right. Well, John, I think you hit it too is, you know, you don't want to believe everything, you want to believe nothing, the, the whole middle. I know where Marsh is very helpful and even, um, you know, saying make sure they get enough tissue, make sure they do this because the whole, and, you know, most of our audience is healthcare people and certainly precision medicine. But talk a little bit about your, your biomarker collaborative because that sort of, I think, is an offshoot of this, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I want to talk about tissue. So uh, I've had, I don't know how many biopsies. A, a liquid biopsy is where they take your blood and they can find uh, circulating tumor DNA. But for many of the new antibody therapies, they actually have to look at the outside of the cells. And that requires tissue. And there's all these new trials coming up. And so if you like the, the tissue vampires, you know, every time you turn around, they want tissue. Um, I just finished one three weeks ago where they took liver tissue. And I'm all with I'm I'm all over Marcia. Take plenty and uh flash freeze it and save it for later. But the problem is after six months, I think it loses its 
potential because cancer continues to, to mutate. But I think that's excellent advice. Um, I adore Marsha. Um, Marsha, I, I was contacted uh, over two years ago by, it was then the president of the ALK uh, positive patient advocacy group, probably one of the largest in the world. And Gina Hollenbeck has passed away. Um, I just helped give a tribute to her with for the National Lung Cancer Roundtable. Um, asked me if I thought that these genetic al uh, alterations were pan-tumor, meaning as a gestural lung or what. And I know from people, patients, that you can get met most anywhere. And um, wanted to know if we could build a comprehensive body of people um, that represent all of the patient advocacy groups. And so we started with all the biomarkers, a lot of the ones most commonly known are EGFR, ALK. Um, people here met, uh, there's, there's, Marsha's got Exxon 20 group. Um, for the, for it's a derivative of EGFR. There's RET. There's there's all these different ones, and so we brought all of them together as a group, because a lot of times if you have one, you may have another, and if a drug quits working for one, then they will switch to the drug for the other, and that will give you, you know, more quote unquote killing power, if you will, and then we also sw swept into the group. Um, all of the traditional type agencies, which are pancam for pancreatic cancer, or um, you know the, the various groups around the Thyroid Cancer Research Association, um, Go to Foundation. So all of the people around specific organs, if you will because they had a wealth of experience. And sometimes these alterations are tied to a lung or a region, and sometimes they're not. Mostly they're pan-tumor. So we wanted to bring the best of all advocacy together <clears throat> under one umbrella. And we call that the Biomarker Collaborative. The point of the biomarker collaborative became to help a patient at the point of diagnosis find support. Now these are patients, these are patient groups, lead groups as a whole, um, some are not, and they have experience in their one cancer and all of the doctors, all the medications, all the side effects, and their communities. like. We have a few hundred people in a Facebook group. So you have people to ask and to be affirmed that you're making the right choices. Um, we have a, a website with what we built, an expert system that just asks questions of the patient and then drives them to a list of resources that are available to them. And the whole goal is to get a patient to a patient that looks just like them, who has the resources to be able to support them 
to what is probably the most traumatic point in their life. And Marsha, as you mentioned, Marsha, um, Exxon 20 Group, uh, Marsha is my uh, vice president. So we work together quite a bit. No, I've used your services and give the audience an example. A woman I know's husband's got kidney cancer, and she was struggling with how to support him. And Marsha actually hooked her up with the spouse of a kidney cancer patient that literally was about the same age, the same resources to let her sort of know how to handle it. So I I think, you know, here's a great example of somebody that has done very well professionally, but your whole goal is to help people have better lives. And I'm just in awe. I keep, you know, I'm under one. I'm just absolutely in awe of what you do, John. It's just amazing. It can be a little tenuous sometimes, you know. It takes a special person to want to deal with fighting your own cancer and then taking on everybody else fighting theirs too. Yes. Yes. Some days you look for days you don't even think about cancer, but those days really don't exist. You're always you're always trying to move the ball downfield all the time. That's what's that's why we're here. Find a cure, make this uh, some kind of a disease we can control. Yeah, we're getting better at it. We're getting better at it. We we could be there. It's all about money too. I mean, just there, there's never enough funding. It seems like right. I mean, cancer research is the biggest money sponge. I mean, I've ever seen it. it, it it's amazing. Yep, I was thinking that you know, and, you know, people will say we spend all this money on this. What if we? I'm not getting a political tassel. But what if we spend it on cancer? What if we spend it on cancer? Because I I agree with you, and I'm at that age. <laughs> where, you know, I'm afraid to pick up the newspaper and read the obituaries. I look at my age compared to this and that and what. And it's it's a it's a continuous how do you manage anxiety. So if people want to learn more about how to get a hold of um, the biomarker collaborative, put together the website, I know Nicole would, will also offer it. But what's the best way for people to learn more? I think it's just to go to www dot biomarker collaborative <laughs> excuse me dot org and if you're looking for support take the quiz find your group or send a special request to info at biomarkercollaborative.org I actually get all of those directly myself. That's why I love to talk to you. It's there's all these support groups out there, but how do you find them? What's right for me? And and that's what you've done. So, John, I want to thank you. And um, I'm so grateful for Marsha to introduce us. Um, you know, there's just two Wisconsin guys with had a little. I also had a little Illinois life, too, in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, we're probably not that far apart in age and not that far apart from <coughs> other experiences. Um, but anyway, I just want to thank you for what you do for so many people. I'm very, very I know I speak on behalf of many that are. You've already helped and are very appreciative. And I hope through this podcast that more and more people can learn what the great work that you and your collaborative does. So thank you very much, John. You know, I think if I can do a little pitch. Please. I think the way all the hospitals and all of the doctors can help is to, um, and we provide, we'll provide the materials or help create the materials. It's just a one sheet 
information page on the biomarker collaborative to hand out to a patient at the time of diagnosis that makes them aware of their capabilities of finding patient support. And if nothing else, just create some awareness. And it's it's good because we we increase compliance <clears throat> on patients taking their drugs. Um, I mean, we help coach them along to try to get them better. So it's good for the patient. It's good for the healthcare system. Um, it's good for the payers. So there's there's it's a win 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 all the way around the block. Absolutely, I agree, hundred hundred percent. Well, thank you very much, John. I so appreciate your work. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Busy Leaders Podcast, a catalyst for inspired action, hosted by Clint Studer. Please subscribe, rate us, and write a review. For more information, visit thebusyleadershandbook.com.